0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head and Shamat Karsandu bringing you fighting talk from the British side of the pond. The distinctly British flavour is what we like to say on this show. And we'll give you that in spades on this week's show. Plenty of British MMA talk on this week's show. We talk about UFC Fight Night London. Uh, Interesting news coming out of UFC Fight Night London this week. We will talk about that. We have a main event, long awaited. And uh, it's been met with a mixed response. We will talk about that later on in the show. We will also talk about Conor McGregor and his first foray into non-fighting pay-per-view. He did a sit-down interview with Ariel Helwani in Manchester, an experience with Conor McGregor. Our man Sandu was uh, there watching through the web link and uh, will give us the rundown on that. And of course, we will look back at UFC on Fox as Valentina Shevchenko... Ran out the winner against Juliana Pena and became the number one contender for the UFC Women's Bounce Away Championship. Sandu, how are you, buddy?
1: Uh, very sleep deprived, uh, Simon. It's been uh, a very busy 48 hours in the world of mixed martial arts. Like you mentioned, news coming out regarding the main event of UFC London. We had the UFC and Fox card on the weekend. Obviously, the Conor McGregor interview was fire. Uh, and we even had a chance to squeeze in some. WWE pro wrestling with the Royal Rumble uh, last night, uh, and I know there's a, a fair section of our listeners and the general MMA community who are also pro wrestling fans. So I think it was a, a packed weekend for all, all parties concerned.
0: Yeah, I haven't quite caught up on on sleep myself. I always look sleep deprived, but I actually am <laughs> this time. So, but uh, the first the first and most important thing, arguably on the uh, on the list, is we had some live fights this weekend, and UFC on Fox came from. Where it all began for the UFC, Denver, Colorado. They packed out the Pepsi Center, over 13,000 fans, uh, took to the stands for Valentina Shevchenko's coming out party. A lot of people, myself included, thought that Juliana Peña was going to get this one done, Sandu. But -hmm. Valentina Shevchenko showed that she is a hell of a lot more than just a very good striker. She submitted Juliana Peña in the second round and she looked absolutely phenomenal. Great performance from Bullet. And now she's going to get back in there with Amanda Nunes for a rematch for the UFC Women's Weight Championship. Great performance
1: from Valentina Shevchenko. Yes, yeah, Simon. Um, no one saw that coming. I certainly didn't. Um, I was really impressed with Shevchenko earlier on this year, and that was the very first time I really um, pay you know paid close attention to her when she defeated Holly Holm. Uh, but this, I think, was really her coming out party. Um, I thought she looked really good on her feet, um, and to take Juliana Pena down on the ground. And defeat her in in basically her own world there uh was was fascinating and i think now we're starting to see her really come into her own um and you know showcase the skills of an all-round mixed martial artist uh great great um move by the USC, ufc to have uh, amanda Nunes come into the octagon right after and, and have them both face off there. Um, you know, there was a bit of kind of speculation as to whether the winner of this would actually get the next title shot because Amanda Nunes has been talking about potentially um, fighting the winner of Durandamy and Holly Holm for the 145 belt. Uh, that was um, firmly put to rest um, with her being brought into the cage. And facing off with Shevchenko, they used to do that quite a lot back in the day. Uh, they haven't um, had two fights face off after the main event finishes for quite some time. Um, so, so I thought that was a really good move. And the fact that um, the actual broadcast got over two million viewers, I think that sets them both up nicely uh, to give them that extra exposure. And I think now moving forward, if they can, you know, portray and promote a well balanced. Um, marketing campaign showcasing the storylines of both fighters um, I think they'll both be in good shape for it whenever they do eventually fight
0: yeah it was really interesting when they got them both in there the The trash talk was a little bit I don't know it, was, it just seemed a little bit awkward to me some of it it was it started out respectful then Amanda Nunez decided to get a little bit aggressive and but it, it you know I think it served its purpose the fact that they got them in there and sometimes you need to do that but the thing that really struck me was the size differential I, I watched the Amanda Nunes Valentina Shevchenko fight at UFC 196 that was last March in Las Vegas that was the infamous night when uh, Nate Diaz submitted Conor McGregor yes. and uh, that fight Amanda Nunes won it by, uh, by unanimous decision she won the first two rounds she won the first round comfortably second round was quite close but she did win it but it Going down the stretch, it was Shevchenko, who was by far the better fighter. And I remember uh, turning to my colleagues on Press Row saying, if this was a five-round fight, I'd be piling my money on Shevchenko at this point. Because she was the one who was really piling on the pressure. And Nunes was beginning to tread water towards the end of that third round. We're now going to see that fight again at five rounds. So I I think it's going to be a fascinating contest. It might not be the big A-list matchup that that some people might be looking for. But in terms of a quality matchup at £135, Mad Nunez is probably the most destructive force in that division right now. And Valentina Shevchenko arguably is the most technical fighter in the entire division. Uh, and one of the things that we as as journalists perhaps didn't pay enough mind to when we were going into that fight was just the amount of and, and breadth of skill within the combat sport realm that that Valentina Shevchenko has got. She's got black belts and masters of sport in all manner of different disciplines. She's a second-down black belt in taekwondo. She's an international master of sports in Muay Thai. She's a master of sports in boxing, kickboxing, taekwondo, and judo. And she's also a black belt in judo. And it's that that I think perhaps got overlooked a little bit during the build-up to this fight. She knows what she's doing on the mat a lot more than she's shown Leading into this particular fight, but boy, did she show it on Saturday night! Great, great performance from Valentina Shevchenko.
1: And Deserve, she can dance.
0: She can dance as well. She's got some moves. She's got some moves. I, I certainly can't dance, uh, so I've got no, I've got no grounds for uh, critiquing other people's dance moves. But she's, she's, uh, she, she certainly got some moves. It was, uh, it was, it was kind of, it, it's kind of cool to see her showing a bit more personality. Um, it's always good when people get to learn a little bit more about the fighters she she communicates and, and expresses herself really well obviously English is not her first language but dealing with the post-fight interviews and the press conferences no problems whatsoever on that front so it just serves to help build the fight and um, she's more than capable of holding her own verbally and physically with someone like uh, Amanda Nunes and I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup uh, we may well see that sort of international fight week time. It's sort of you know the time frame would seem to fit quite nicely for that. What happens with Juliana Pena from here?
1: That's a very good question, Sai. Um, the first thought that came straight to mind is a Ronda Rousey match. Uh, Ronda Rousey has gone on um, Instagram post uh, the loss to Amanda Nunes, basically saying you know I'm rock bottom, I'm starting from scratch type of thing, and I think. I think what Ronda Rousey needs is a match that will be stylistically um, quite, quite. I don't want to say easy, but um, um, what's the kind of word and the verbiage I'm looking for? Some a, a style that she can get to grips with, right? Juliana Pena's style is very much grappling-based, and I think Ronda Rousey would match up very, very well with her. What she'd also get with Juliana Pena. Ah is a great dance partner when it comes to um, promoting the fight. We already have learned that even though it's on a Friday and even though she was coming off a loss, Ronda Rousey is still one of the biggest draws in the sport. She can definitely pull in uh, the the, the, the attendance and the pay-per-view numbers. She can do all that business. And I think if she wants to stay uh, in the fight game, uh, a fight with Juliana Pena would make the world of sense. And um, they've obviously got the history going back uh, to when uh, Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate you know, um, were served as coaches on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, that was the same season that Juliana Pena won. Um, so there's lots to to work with there. Um, so, so that's, that's my... Uh, and, got, and of course, on Pena's side... Um, to, to stay at the top of the division, um, a winner of a Rousey would still warrant perhaps a future title shot, a big marquee win over a signature fight like that on a massive pay-per-view. Um, so she'd be right up in the mix to perhaps uh, fight the winner of Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko. You want
0: to know what else it does? I can't imagine Ronda Rousey fighting on the UFC event and it not being... Uh, a main event of a pay-per-view at this point. You know, I, yeah. I, I know before they used to kind of prop her up a little bit by making a co-main uh, to a, to a male title fight. She's gone beyond that, even though she's lost. She's such a huge draw. The UFC could conceivably do a Ronda Rousey, Juliana Pena pay-per-view, even though there's no championship on the line. I know it kind of goes against the sort of the unwritten rule that you have to have a belt. They have done it without belts before. Anderson Silva, I remember, headlined a pay-per-view in a non-title fight. Conor McGregor has headlined a pay-per-view in a non-title fight. So it can be done. And uh, that, if anything, gives the UFC added flexibility in their their booking. It means that they don't necessarily have to put a world championship fight in there through through necessity's sake, if that makes sense. You can do Mm. Ronda Rousey versus Juliana Pena something they could maybe consider it's something that's never been done before and it would be kind of a cool thing to try would be to do an all-female fight card
1: mm-hmm. and you
0: could have rousey and pen your headlining but you could do an all-female fight card and i think you could really put the the wme marketing machine behind that and that could become something really really quite something and i think it would it would just highlight the the depth of talent that the UFC has in the in the women's weight divisions. Obviously, they're looking to build a third weight class as well now, and uh, you know we can we can maybe use that event to try and bolster that up as well. I think that would be something that I would certainly consider. Um, that might be a little bit different, and again, it allows you to market it in a slightly different way, whereby people don't necessarily feel like they're being shortchanged by not having a world championship fight on the card. I dunno, it's just an idea that literally sprung to me as, as as we were talking about it. But um I would be interested in a Juliana pena Ronda Rousey fight. I don't know I don't know what other fights are out there for, for Ronda other than people she's already fought before.
1: Mm-hmm. They
0: could bring Misha back for one more, perhaps. Um but Holly Holmes obviously fighting for a world championship, so she's out of the equation. Amanda Nunez destroyed her, so she's out of the equation. Um Juliana Pena, there is an existing sort of niggling rivalry there between them. It makes all the sense in the world. I think that would be a great fight to make. Um, What was also a great fight while it lasted was the co-main event in Denver, Colorado. Jorge Masvidal picking out arguably the biggest win of his UFC career. TKOing Donald Cowboy Cerrone a minute into the second round. Now, this was a controversial fight, not because of the result. Jorge Masvidal clearly deservedly the winner of that fight, but the fact that it was allowed to go into the second round. Herb Dean, from my vantage point and watching it live, I thought he'd stop the fight. I thought he stopped it a little bit before the buzzer. They since uh, ran back the footage to double-check, and sure enough, he stepped in about a second before the buzzer. Um, And uh, it looked to me as if he was kind of hedging his bets a little bit. Um, Dana White gave him a bit of an excuse a bit of a get out in the press conference saying it was ridiculously loud in there at the time uh, and he didn't necessarily hear the buzzer clearly himself so it gives it gives Herb a little bit of a pass but Cerrone looked done at the end of that round he looked out um, and uh, it was slightly surprising that the corner sent him back out there um, it was also surprising that the doctors didn't didn't stop the fight because he'd clearly been knocked out at the end of that and he went back out there. He gamely tried to stay in there, and it was just a it was a fait accompli at that point. Jorge Masvidal just took him apart. Another sixty seconds of needless punishment, really. And uh, Masvidal moves forward in the welterweight division. Uh, first off, t- talk to us about how you saw that incident, and then tell us about how impressed you were with, with uh, game bred Masvidal because he seriously impressed me on Fire night.
1: Absolutely, uh, I agree with you one hundred percent. I saw it the same way you did. I thought that Herb Dean had stopped the fight, and then there was a little bit of you know, controversy there. It's it's a little it's a difficult one, right? Because you've got a, you've got a minute to kind of gather you know your senses and regain your composure. Um, now, should it be down to the corner cornermen to have a look at their fire and say, right, this guy's knocked out? You know, we should be throwing in the towel. And you know, I think that should be talked about more. Um, you know, uh, cornermen throwing in towels, protecting their fires. You know, this was a big one for, for Cowboy Cerrone. It was his fifth fight at welterweight within 12 months. He obviously done a phenomenal job in 2016, was one of the fighters of the year. It was one of the comeback stories of the year, given how one-sided um, he lost to Rafael Dos Anjos in that title fight at the back end of 2015. It was his fifth fight in 12 months at welterweight, but more importantly, it was in his backyard it was in Denver, Colorado. Um, he's been wanting an opportunity to fight in Denver for a very, very long time. Finally got it. Um, and there was a lot of talk of him potentially, um, you, know, if, if, you know, if things went in his way, potentially skipping over Damian Meyer. Um, you know, again, going back to the whole idea of WMEIMG looking for the big signature marquee fighters. Um, guys have got big fan followings uh, and are very marketable, uh, and giving them the push and giving them these, you know, these title shots and these, you know, big opportunities. Uh, there was a lot of talk of him potentially going, you know, right to the front of the queue. Um, he was already ranked number five, but take absolutely nothing away from Jorge Masvidal. Um, truly, truly, um, a highlight performance out of him. The best of his career, he's never looked better, Uh, and there's lots of talk now of him potentially um, leapfrogging a lot of people. He's he was ranked 12 coming into the fight. I'm sure he'll be firmly uh, cracking into the top 10 in the official UFC rankings. And uh, there's a lot of uh, chatter online of him potentially fighting a Robbie Lawler or a Nick Diaz. And to be honest with you, if one of those comes to fruition, that gets my mouth watering, that gets me rubbing my hands. i mean he 's an action fighter he 's an exciting fighter. I thought he did really well in his post fight interview um, he, he just kind of almost walked away, said what he had to say, called out Dana White. He wants big fights, he wants the big money opportunities, and uh, I think he 's going to get them off that performance.
0: yeah, I think he bet Dana White two hundred grand that uh, he couldn 't find he couldn 't find a guy in the World to White Division to beat him and when he's on form like that, he is as good as anybody. And the thing that, and, and, and Dana referenced it in the press conference, he said he doesn't pull the trigger in fights. And I don't know whether that's the case, but the thing that I've always sort of, sort of leveled against him is when I, whenever I've watched him, I've watched him in fights where he has been, from a technical standpoint, head and shoulders above the guy standing opposite him. And he really, he, he's just lighting them up without, ever really putting him away so he's pulling the trigger but he's just he's doing enough but then when the pace needs to be up to gear in order to sort of match the guy as he comes back he sometimes doesn't doesn't quite find the pedal you know Um, and the last three fights he's done the business he went he went the distance with Ross Pearson He, he stopped Jake Ellenberger and then obviously he's just stopped Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Ellenberger and Cerrone are kind of mainstays Of the UFC, who in you know, whatever weight division they're operating in, they're always there or thereabouts, maybe not necessarily right up there in championship contention, but certainly not that far away. Um, And he's put both of them away by stoppage. Um, I think the time is right to give him a push. The fight I would love to see is the Nick Diaz fight. I think, from a stylistic point of view, they're absolutely made for each other. I think it would be a fascinating. Uh, a, a really fascinating matchup, and both of them are, are very interesting characters. I think the the build up to the fight would be kind of cool as well. And uh, they would be the perfect co main event for a world title fight further down the line, I think, stylistically. But I wouldn't hate on the Robbie Lawler fight either. Um, I don't know when Robbie Lawler is going to be ready to return, but uh, when he does, he's going to want someone relevant in that UFC World to Weight division. And maybe someone who's on, on on a bit of a charge right now would be would be a good pick for him. So, I think the options are out there for for Masvidal. And uh, but yeah, the Diaz fight for me just it kind of makes sense. Masvidal's breaking into the upper echelons of that division. Diaz is returning and needs to establish himself. And I think the winner of that can then go forward and maybe fight for a for a number one contender spot later in the year. But I think that would be absolutely outstanding. Great performance from Jorge Masvidal. But perhaps almost eclipsing him. As good as Masvidal was, for me, the one person who we ca- who at least I came away talking about the most is the big, big, scary Francis Ngannou, who just put Andrei Arlovsky away like he was a... I don't know, just like he was some uh, overmatched prospect. It, it just put him away so easily. And obviously Arlovsky's been around this sport for such a long time. He's been stopped a lot in his recent career uh, and his punch resistance maybe isn't quite what it once was. But boy, didn't look dangerous in that fight. And we've seen his body of work just start to build. And now what we have on our hands is arguably the, the, the scariest man in the UFC. I know Derek Lewis probably can lay claim to that. Anthony Rumble Johnson can certainly lay claim to that. For me, Francis Ngannou has a bit of the Rumble Johnsons about him, but he's just bigger and scarier, and if possible, hits even harder. Um, I'm fascinated to see what they're going to do with him next. I had hopes that they might put him on the London card. We will talk about that a little bit later on, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't envy the next person to step through the uh, the the door of the octagon to stand opposite Francis Ngannou because that's a terrifying human being.
1: You know, what's amazing about Francis Ngannou is he's yet, and what gets me so excited about his future and his potential future, he's yet another European. He's yet another European who could potentially become a UFC world champion within the next year to 18 months. Uh, It would be fantastic for, I mean, you know, originally from Cameroon, but he did emigrate to, to France when he was, uh, when he was a kid. And I mean, I mean, you know, MMA is still banned and illegal in France, which is which is amazing considering, you know, they could have the baddest man on the planet on their hands uh, in the next year, year and a half. He's certainly acting like the baddest man on the planet. That's for sure. Uh, absolutely scary. I still think he's, he's a little rough around the edges and that'll come in time. Um, he'll start to get polished the, the more um, time he puts into the gym and the more fights he gets under his belt. Uh, but he's certainly on his way. Dana White is high on him. I've literally every other tweet from the European uh, UFC Twitter handle seems to be about Francis and Ngannou. So they're definitely giving him a massive promotional push on this side of the world. The fact that he can speak English and conduct his, uh, his own interview, I think for the most part English, that's a big plus, especially uh, to get his personality across into the North American market. Uh, to be honest with you, even if he was a mute, I don't think he'd have to do too much anyway, to be honest with you, because he is an absolutely scary, scary human being, and uh, he's an action fighter when he delivered that uppercut to Andriolovsku, I just, uh, I, you know, I felt it here in London. Um, so I'm really excited to see what they do next with him. Um, I, uh, also like yourself did think that, you know, considering he didn't take out know, too much damage, um, could there be a sneaky chance of him getting fast tracked and getting him put onto the London card? Um, And that might still be the case. You know, there are still a few uh, slots to to fill, I believe, for the London card. I think it's a a 10 or 11 fight card at the moment. Um, So you never know. Um, But, you know, the heavyweight division needs fighters like Francis Ngannou, like Derek Lewis, who over the course of the last year to 18 months, these guys have started to break through. uh, They're young in comparison to what the average age of a UFC heavyweight is. Um, They're fan favorites action fighters. And, uh, yeah, the future looks bright. Yeah, he's. I think
0: it was uh, the post fight press conference. Dana said that obviously, you know, we've seen a lot of heavyweights and a lot of heavyweight champions in the UFC, but he said this might be the first one, or potentially the first guy who looks the way he does. He's got that. He's just got that. He cuts that imposing figure. He's he's absolutely ripped. He hits like a truck. He's got the. He's got the. You know, the scary demeanor about him. And he's he's just got. I hesitate to use the the uh, the phrase Mike Tyson esque, but you, you know they've got that sort of air of just destruction about them. And and Francis Ngannou certainly has that in spades. Put away Andrei Arlovski in devastating fashion. Other people have done the same with Andre Arlovski. So the big test will come in Francis Ngannou's next fight. Looking at the potential permutations for him particularly if you're going to turn him around in the next couple or three months the highest ranked guy you could realistically see him in there is probably Ben Rothwell um, who is who is available I think he's coming back off uh, coming back from an injury layoff himself Uh, he'll he'll be looking for a fight and uh, as someone pointed out to me on Twitter Ben Rothwell's bio says I get paid to end monsters well the biggest monster in the UFC heavyweight division Goes by the name of Francis Ngannou. And I'd love to see those two match up. And I would have loved to have seen it on the London card. Maybe we can still see that. Who knows? That would be certainly a a juicy co-main event. To to slap on that UFC London card. And uh, cheer up some of the British fans. But uh, great performance from him. And the last fight we'll talk about. Is the fight that opened up the main card. Jason Knight. A guy who not many people will have heard of 12 months ago. His mate, he's, he's on a real tear in the UFC, and uh, he's becoming a bit of a, a bit of a character. He defeated Alex Caseras by a rear naked choke, really impressive performance from the lad who goes by the unofficial nickname. He's Jason the Kid Knight. That's his actual nickname, but uh, he also is known to the media as Hick Diaz. Uh, he's 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 a good good old Southern boy. Likes to trash talk people mid fight, and uh, he put a, he put a great performance in. On Saturday night, he called out Do Ho Choi Sandu. That for me is just straight fire, as the kids like to say these days. That would be a fantastic matchup. Would you reckon?
1: Yeah, sign me up to that. Um, to be honest with you, uh, Jason Knight ha- has really flown under my radar. I mean, I haven't—I mean—paid <coughs> too much attention to him. And to be honest with you, when I saw the fight card, I thought, oh. They made a bit of a mistake here. You've got Rafael dos versus versus Germain Sterling on the prelims. Why isn't that on the main card? Because you know, the <coughs> bantamweight division um, could always have you know contenders coming up and you know giving those guys exposures. Just a, you know, a very good thing to do for that particular weight class. Obviously, hindsight being 2020, um, I think eventually the right move was made by the UFC because. Jason Knight put on a fantastic performance. Um, and it's interesting because he is now a free agent. So that was the last fight on his current UFC contract. And he's not quiet about it. He's openly said that he wants to renegotiate. Uh, he wants to re sign with the UFC, uh, but they need to pay up. Um, so he's bet on himself. Uh, he didn't re sign a new contract before this fight. It was a big platform on Fox. Again, I'd like to say 2 million viewers. And uh, he put on. Uh, the best performance of his career so far. And uh, I thought just generally, his post-fight interview, his demeanor, I think he came across really, really well um, to our little MMA community. So I expect big things of Jason Knight down the road, and uh, I'm sure the UFC will re-up him.
0: Yeah, he's had a tough introduction to the UFC when he he joined back in December 2015. He lost the decision to Tatsuya Karajiri. But since then, he's he's gone on a tear. He beat former Cage Warriors champion Jim Allers by split decision. Then he took on Dan Hooker, who uh, is a is a, is a good fighter at 145 pounds. Beat him by unanimous decision, and now he's picked up his first his first inside the distance win in the UFC, beating Alex Caceres. Looking forward to see where they go with him from now. First of all, they got they've got to sort his contracts out. But um, he's he's an interesting character. He's not someone who he's not chasing money. And he's not chasing money fights. I think he just wants his contract sorted, and he wants fights with people who are going to test him. I thought his post fight interview was great. He said, "I don't, I don't want easy fights. I want to fight someone who I know can beat me, so that I can beat them." And I thought, I thought that was really, a, you know, a really good way of going about things. And Duho Choi versus Jason Knight would be a fantastic, fantastic matchup. That was UFC on Fox twenty three from Denver Colorado and uh, but what we want to look at now is is something that happened outside the octagon the biggest star in the sport Conor McGregor may not have been fighting this weekend but it wasn't a weekend off for a notorious one because he was right here in in Britain in Manchester England no less for an experience with Conor McGregor a, a sit down a fireside chat as they like to call these things just a little cozy, intimate fireside chat with Ariel Helwani and five thousand of his closest friends who had purchased tickets for the event. It was available to watch online as a pay-per-view. I think it cost four ninety-nine here in the UK. Uh, one of the people who paid the four ninety-nine and watched it was your good self, Mr. Sandhu. Now I'm, I hold my hands up. I did not watch this. Mm. Um, I was watching the. Uh, I was watching the early prelims from from denver so i didn't watch the the actual interview i've seen a lot of the fallout from it and i was watching your your excellent twitter play by play but talk us through some of the key you know the key highlights and the setup i'm interested to know first off was it was it good value for money for the people who went was it good value for money for the people who stumped up to watch it on the uh, on the stream
1: see i'm not too sure i mean the I'm, i'm aware of the company that organized this because they've done this in the past with Al Pacino and and Arnold Schwarzenegger and I also believe maybe Mike Tyson as well. And I suppose it just depends on, as a fan, who you idolize and if it's an opportunity to get up close and personal and have some sort of interaction uh, in a private, intimate setting like it was um, with somebody, you know, you look up to and respect and, you know, uh, are a fan of. So, I suppose for a lot of people, perhaps for them, it was an opportunity to do this to that with uh, with Conor McGregor. Um, I don't know if he was able to meet and greet all 5,000 or what the, the setup was. I know there was a tiered system of tickets which ranged from, I think, 50 to 100 pounds all the way up to the thousands, um, depending on you know what kind of package you bought. But um, it was a very interesting setup because you know it is the first time I've ever heard of uh, an interview uh, being streamed via an pay per view format. I think it cost £3.99. I think it was... Five uh, U.S. dollars. I think that's how the exchange rate worked out. I mean, for me, I had no qualms in, in paying it because um, that's where the news is. You know, he's a a polarizing figure in our sport. He's the biggest star in our sport, um, and um, I just provided a, a live play-by-play on Twitter, which uh, everyone, you know, appreciated from from my following. You know, there are a lot of people either couldn't, uh, um, you know, watch it because they were out and about. Or you know, even though it you know only costs you know a little bit more than a cup of coffee these days, there are you know some people that perhaps can't afford it, right? And actually, there were some people uh, that weren't able to access it. I think New Zealand, Australia, and a few other countries um, were were blacked out. So even if they wanted to pay for it, they couldn't. So it was almost like in a way providing a service to some fans who didn't have access to actually uh, watch the, 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 the 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 live stream, even if they wanted to. That all putting you know being put to one side. I thought first of all, Ariel Hawani did a did a decent job. I think um, if you just if you didn't know it was a, um, a pay per view, it would have been just another interview of Ariel Hawani's on the MMA Hour. Right, he is one of the if not the best interviewer um, in our, in our little sport here, and he's got the relationship and the rapport with Conor McGregor. I think you know out of everyone that's that could potentially could have interviewed Conor McGregor. Mc- you know, Helwani was probably the best person for the job just so that he could, you know, ask all the hard questions um, and maybe get more out of McGregor than maybe somebody else would have that maybe isn't from our MMA bubble. So I think the experience with guys did a good job of tapping him up and getting him on board. In regards to, you know the actual um, meat on the bones in regards to what Conor McGregor said, he addressed everything that I think people have been, you know, wanting uh, to either hear him talk about or would be interested in hearing his take on from Floyd Mayweather to Nate Diaz, to the UFC, to Hollywood, to the WWE, uh, to a potential boxing career, uh, to, you know, how things are going since he won the um, the, the lightweight championship in New York. So, a lot to digest, but I think the main takeaway is still everything surrounding a potential fight, a crossover fight with Floyd Mayweather. That's the main kind of takeaway that I think everyone's um, talking about from the interview. Essentially, with regards of whatever is on the table at the UFC, whether it's a, a, a trilogy fight with Nate Diaz, whether it's to fight the winner of Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov for the uh, lightweight championship, whether it's a return to featherweight, which he didn't um, rule out, you know, he said that, you know, people are talking about him um, not returning back to featherweight, but he could make featherweight no problem. So he didn't rule that out either. He talked a little bit about, you know, going up to, you know, welterweight and, and challenging for the, the £170 championship. But he said that all essentially pales in comparison to what he potentially has the opportunity to do at the moment. That is fight Floyd Mayweather. That's what everybody wants. It's where he will make the most money. He said that he'd like to have the UFC on board uh, to make everything a little bit smoother. But he also said he's going to be going to Las Vegas very, very soon to speak to the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Now, he said that he's going to go there to first of all handle uh, the $150,000 fine uh, that he still has to pay for his role in the bottle-throwing incident going back to UFC 202 last August. Uh, but it's also about obtaining a boxer's license. Um, and he did, you know, mention the Ali Act, um, which would cause a little bit of uh, legal issues. I'm sure they'll, that he would have to potentially go to court if he was to lean on the Ali Act to try and get a boxing fight put together with Floyd Mayweather without the UFC. But, like you said, Simon, even before the interview kicked off, you know he had this amazing uh, post on Instagram where he was basically saying, "F the UFC, F the WWE, F boxing, F Floyd Mayweather." I've got this pay-per-view interview. People are paying uh, to watch, and there's five thousand people in attendance to watch him. You know, speak for an hour. So it's amazing. He is such a polarizing character, such a polarizing figure um that you know people will pay attention and evidently people will either pay uh, for the privilege to see him or hear him talk in person um or pay for it online um i know you didn't pay uh you know well um, i know you didn't watch it live yourself but i know you've seen some of the the key quotes that have come out and and the articles that have been written what's been your take on some of the key takeaways? You know, that the likes of uh, our MMA community has been talking about in the 48 hours that have passed since the interview.
0: I'll be honest with you, I think the biggest takeaways came from not from what Conor McGregor said, but from two other protagonists within this whole soap opera. Uh, it's all about what they said. I thought it was very interesting how Dana White responded during the post fight press conference. Um, I also thought it was very interesting what happened with Floyd Mayweather, who turned up at a boxing event that he had absolutely nothing to do with, proceeded to do on camera live television interviews with virtually every live broadcaster in the room, uh, and told each of them that he thinks the Conor McGregor fight will happen. So that I thought was very interesting. But in terms of in terms of what was being said, and I was obviously I've seen some of the articles, and obviously I was watching your watching your play by play it sounded to me like it was just reeling off sound bites, almost almost as crowd as some sort of crowd pleasing thing one minute he's saying i'll take on tyron woodley i'll beat him and then the next thing he's saying i'll take on nate diaz and i'll beat him it's like he's got a line for every actuality but or sorry, sorry every eventuality but If we leave the Mayweather thing to one side for a second, because that that has a life of its own at this point. He's Mm. the UFC lightweight champion of the world. He's contracted to the UFC. The Mm -hmm. Mayweather thing needs to be contractually agreed, and there's an awful lot of things and an awful lot of moving parts that are going to need to be brought together in order for that fight to happen. And it looks more likely now than it ever had before. But there's still an awful long way to go before that ever comes together. What we do know... He's, he's the he's the reigning UFC lightweight champion. We also know he's contracted to the UFC. We also know that he's taking time out because he's he's he's, he's about to become a father for the first time. What I wanted to know from this was who is he going to defend his title against? Because the thing that the thing that worries me is that through all of this, and I completely understand why he might want to be pursuing this Floyd Mayweather fight. Is the UFC and the sport of mixed martial arts at the highest level is effectively being sidelined while McGregor goes off on this on this uh, on this jaunt towards a fight with Floyd Mayweather. And it for me, there are echoes of the Nate Diaz rematch in this. Obviously, there are different circumstances surrounding it. He fought Diaz on short notice, lost, and rather than go back to trying to defend his title, he he needed to go and, and, and face Diaz again and he effectively deviated from the path of sort of the established order of what happens in a in a in a meritocratic sport to go off and, and do that. Um and then he obviously from that went on and challenged for the lightweight title and we know what happened after that, he lost his featherweight belt. So he's now he's now got one belt, and we're no closer to knowing I if he's gonna defend it. B, when he's going to defend it and C, who he's going to defend it against. And for me, they're the three big questions that as a mixed martial arts journalist that I want to know answers to. And he was throwing names out left, right and centre from what I could make out from from, from, uh, from social media during, during the event. And... It was almost as if he was throwing these names out just for the sake of throwing them out there. Keep all the different pots boiling, all the, all the different plates spinning without committing to any of them. And some people would say that's that's a master at work. He's being very clever. And he absolutely is. He absolutely is. But there comes a point where he, he, he does have to fight again. And I've got no issue with him taking the time out. I don't think anybody would begrudge him even if he wasn't being, you know even if he wasn't going to be a father, I think the guy deserves a rest. He's had, he's had an incredible two years. Um, he's stepped up whenever he's been asked to step up. He's taken fights, he's taken fights that he wasn't originally booked to take, but took them anyway on short notice, and they haven't all gone his way, but he's taken them and he's gone through and he's conducted himself within, within sort of the smaller bubble of MMA competition flawlessly. I don't think you can criticise the way he's gone about his business as a a competitive sportsman. It's all of the fluff that is around the outside. We're getting far more sizzle than we're getting steak now. And and I want a bit more steak. Um, And I want to see McGregor fight. And I want to see him fight in the octagon. And I want to see him fight Khabib Nurmagomedov or Tony Ferguson. And if he beats them... I'll quite fancy seeing him fight against Tyrone Woodley if indeed Tyron Woodley still has the belt. Um, I would also like to see him fight Jose Aldo again one day. But the Mayweather fight I can take or leave. I understand why he wants to go for it. It's a, it's it's basically his retirement. If he 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 could retire comfortably now, but if he gets this if he gets this Mayweather fight, then he's he's him his family. And generations of his family are probably going to be made. And it would be, you know, if, if, if that fight's on the table, he'd be mad not to take it, just from a financial standpoint. But as a sports journalist, I want to see the guy competing. Um, and I want to see him competing at the highest level in his sport. And his sport is mixed martial arts. He has a world championship belt. I think he has a duty to defend it. I'm not saying he has to defend it now, but I think by the time we get to international fight week in the summer, I think I think we either need to know that he's going to be fighting during international fight week, or we need to know that he's going to be fighting very soon afterwards. Otherwise, we're then going to get back round to the situation that we had with the featherweight belt, where we're saying, "Well, is he going to defend this belt? Are they going to have to think about taking that belt off him?" And then it's history repeating itself. It's it's you know championship. Uh, championship belt Groundhog Day and that's my worry because while I have no problem with him chasing this huge fight I also want him to stay stay within the sport that that made him who he is you know um, colleague of ours John Morgan mentioned that he nearly missed the flight for his UFC debut because he was signing on at the dole office and he nearly missed his flight and now here he is the biggest draw in, in in the UFC ever and he's on the verge of landing this ridiculous super fight for astronomical sums of money with with, uh, with with Floyd Mayweather in a sport that he has never professionally competed in before um it's 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 a remarkable rise in fortunes for him but i don't want to see the UFC and mixed martial arts sidelined by this i want to see him i want to see him competing i want to see him defending that championship He's a superstar. He hasn't defended a championship belt yet. That's what I want to see. And he gave us a lot of sound bites. And, you know, he's marketing himself in a way that no fighter ever has. But when push comes to shove, the thing that really pays the bills is when you step in and fight. And right now, I don't know. I don't know quite what the path is for him. And I'd hoped. That through the interviews, we might have learned a little bit more about it. But actually, all it's done is raise more questions. And that leaves me a little disappointed. I understand why he's done it. He's a shrewd businessman. But I just want to see Conor McGregor and the going against Sandu. That's that, That's it. I don't. It's not because I want to see him lose. Because actually, I like seeing him succeed. I think it's great for the sport when he wins. But I also want to see him tested. I want to see him fight the best of the best in the hardest combat sport on the planet, mixed martial arts. Uh, and right now, we seem further away f- from that than ever. And that's what I want to see put right towards the back end of this year.
1: So let me ask you, on January 30th, 2017, is next? Is the next fight for Conor McGregor against Floyd Mayweather or is it against somebody in the UFC?
0: I really hope it's someone in the UFC. Because I I think the length of time that it's going to take to get the Mayweather fight done, I don't think we'll see it this side of 2018. I think the earliest we can realistically expect to see it is November, December time. And that's being optimistic. I, I can't see it being done in time for the summer. And I also don't... And also, McGregor's going to need to train. And he's going to have to train exclusively boxing. He's going to need a full training camp if he's going to get in there with Floyd Mayweather. So... He's going to need some serious prep time. And I can't see the fight happening until the end of the year at the earliest, if not into 2018. Now, if his focus is all on that, does that mean we're going to go a calendar year without seeing him fight? You know, and that's why I'm worried about the whole world champion having to lose his belt again thing. If he wasn't a world champion, I would actually be less concerned about this or less, less, less worried about it. It's the fact that he's a standard bearer for the sport he has a duty to defend his world champion uh, his, his world championship and uh, I, I, I just think there's a certain there's a certain amount of responsibility there that I hope he isn't sort of running well say running away from isn't isn't the right terminology isn't neglecting or, or turning his back on so I, I really do hope that we get to see him fight at least once, hopefully twice before the end of 2017. In the UFC. Because I don't think he's going to fight Mayweather until 2018. If at all.
1: Well one of the key lines in his interview. Was the next time. This is a direct quote. The next time you see me in a combat sports arena. You'll see me walk through boxing rings. And that's a pretty definitive statement. That he said there. Uh, Again like you said. A lot of moving parts to um, that particular fight. Uh, Obviously Dana White's come out. And said. Um, you know, you know, he's got a better chance of, uh, of you know, playing for the, the New England Patriots uh, in the Super Bowl final um, this, this upcoming Sunday. But that's all in front of the cameras. Who really knows what's going on behind the scenes? Um, of course, the UFC aren't going to just let him walk away uh, for, for a boxing fight unless they can get a piece of the pie. Um, you know, they, they are having uh, a bit of a transitional period at the moment where a lot of the biggest uh, draws and stars aren't available. Um, they are still gearing towards this target of trying to generate as much revenue um, by the summer. Uh, they've also got this massive TV deal um, that needs to be re-upped uh, at the end of this year with a negotiation star as well. So there's just so much happening with wme uh, WMEIMG owned UFC. But uh, if I'm a betting man, I think he is going to do exactly what you fear, Simon. I think he will take a year out. I think he will be fighting for Lloyd Mayweather next. Um, I think it won't be good for the UFC lightweight and featherweight divisions. Um, And I think that you said he needs a full training camp. I I would um, hazard to guess that he is training boxing exclusively just right now. And he may need to do that for an entire year uh, to give himself – a fighter's chance or a fighting chance against an all-time great defensive counter-striker of a boxer in Floyd Mayweather. You know, Floyd is approaching 40. Um, I know he's had problems with his hands, um, especially towards the latter part of his career. Um, And I think, you know, I think what they learned with the Manny Pacquiao fight is I think perhaps... um, You know, a North American audience won't be fooled again. You know, a lot of people wanted the Pacquiao fight to happen and it should have happened five years sooner. It ended up being a dud. Uh, But I think, if anything, what UFC 196 taught us was if you can jump on the hype train, turn things around as quickly as humanly possible. And I'm not saying they're going to do this in 11 days like UFC 196. What I am saying is I don't think they're going to let this linger for two or three or four years and perhaps risk McGregor losing in the UFC, which can easily happen. This is mixed martial arts we're talking about. He lost last year. And it's not going to end his career. But right now, his star couldn't be higher. It really couldn't be higher. Um, He's coming off um, the biggest year of his career He's coming. He's he's still claiming himself to be a two-weight champion, right? And um, and I think if he wants to take that momentum with him, especially from a promotional angle, um, and try and sell, uh, um, his uh, you know his ability or his belief that he can beat Floyd Mayweather to the casual uh, fan base or or casual viewers who perhaps are none the wiser, who perhaps are just seeing uh, a mixed martial artist who has got the majority of his wins by knockout take on who is in his prime who is 27 28 years old take on a, an aged veteran all-time great boxer and you've got you know two parts of the world colliding america ireland um, you've got guys that have actually promoted themselves in you know more ways that, that are similar than not with regards to how they flashed their money um I think it would be fascinating. It would be just uh, the ratings on any piece of content, interviews, posters, you name it. There's already so much uh, content out there um, in in the last six months of this fight being talked about. And I think it's slowly just starting to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. So if I'm a betting man, um, I think Mayweather-McGregor does happen. Um, it's not going to be ideal for uh, the UFC's lightweight and featherweight division. It's not going to be ideal for fans that want to see McGregor defend his belt. It's not going to be ideal for fans who want to see McGregor fight in the octagon. I may be wrong, um, but and I wasn't too keen on this fight happening. I was kind of just thinking, "Oh, this is just you know BS," and uh, I'm not really buying into it. I'm all in. I'm all in. I think um, I think it's going to happen, and, um, and like you said, Simon is just far too much money on the table to potentially um to take for mcgregor it's it's money he can't turn turn a blind eye to and um and he did mention one other thing that you know you've got mayweather promotions you've got the ufc and now you've got mcgregor promotions so um how they divvy up the numbers and the potential revenue that this fight could you know could uh, he did say that, you know, in his opinion, this would be the first billion dollar fight. And to be honest with you, with regards to everything else he said over his career that's come through to fruition, I wouldn't put it past him. Who knows? You know, could it break the Manny Pacquiao Mayweather uh, box office record? Why not? If anyone can do it, it's McGregor Mayweather. So, um, you know, I think there's still going to be so much to unpack over the coming weeks and months. And I'm sure you and me will be uh, talking about this and debating and, you know, dissecting so many more. Storylines and interviews, um, and it and it's probably going to end up being one of these stories of 2017. Uh, but for now, that was the interview. That was the key takeaway, and uh, we'll see where Mayweather McGregor ends up in the coming year.
0: Yeah, it's 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 going to be one of these that, that that's going to run and run and run. There's going to be stories about it every week, and a lot of it is just going to be puff puff stuff. It's not that you know I don't think we're going to get. That much in the way of new detail for weeks at a time, and then we'll get a little nugget of information from from Mayweather. You know, one of the people I would like to hear from is Leonard Ellerby. Um, he's the CEO of Mayweather Promotions. He's Floyd Mayweather's most trusted uh, business partner and advisor. Um, and I would be fascinated to hear hear more from him. I'd also be very interested to hear more or hear anything from the senior management of WME. One of the things that, that comes into this is the UFC or WME have got some aggressive targets to hit. And if Conor McGregor's is not going to be fighting in the UFC, then the UFC cannot, cannot afford not to be part of this event because they're just leaving money on the table if they do. And, they, from being the, you know, the party that's in power, if you like, they're the ones who are going to have to sort of scrape and fight their way into this. Because if, if McGregor's talking Ali Act and stuff like this, in order to free him up from a contractual standpoint to face Mayweather, then what that does, Mayweather is, is he likes to call himself the A-side, and McGregor's the B-side. Well... If if he's the A side and the B side, then 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 the UFC are 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 sort of below that, you know, and and because they need to be a part of this, because if they're not, they're going to lose their biggest draw for a minimum twelve months. They've already lost him for six, so I don't want to lose him for the back end of the year as well. But if if they know that towards the end of the year or early in twenty eighteen, they're going to you know they're going to co promote this enormous event. Which may have, which may be a a co-branded boxing slash UFC event. You know we've seen Bellator do it with Dynamite, where you had a, a kit kickboxing ring and a cage in the arena. That could happen. Why not do that? Put some boxing matches on, put some mixed martial arts matches on, acts as a nice showcase for both sports to both sets of fans. And obviously then you finish up with the big super fight inside the inside the boxing ring. Um, but the UFC absolutely needs to be a part of this if, if it's going to happen. Otherwise, they're going to be on the outside looking in. Their golden goose is going to be laying all these eggs, but someone else is going to be walking off with them. So that's that. I think is going to be the biggest, the biggest thing that needs to get ironed out one way or another. What you said about McGregor not fighting before he fights Mayweather makes complete sense because you know I was talking about I want to see him tested. I want to see him fight the best. And in doing so, there's an inherent risk in that. People have said that Khabib Nurmagomedov is the most dangerous threat to Conor McGregor that we've seen in the UFC. Um, And there is a realistic chance that Khabib could beat Conor McGregor. And if he does beat Conor McGregor before McGregor gets to fight Mayweather, all of a sudden, a lot of that mystique disappears. Yes, McGregor lost, but he instantly rematched Nate Diaz and beat him. So he was able to sort of save that a little bit. But to lose another one, and if you're going to lose to Khabib, you're probably going to lose in pretty devastating fashion just you know because of the way he fights. So that's not going to be a good look for someone who then wants to step in for a multi, multi-million dollar boxing match. And that's what worries me, as I, as I say, to put your best guy on the shelf or allow your best guy to take himself out of the equation when you really need to be recouping some money because you bought the UFC for over $4 billion. That's why the UFC absolutely has to be at the table when they negotiate this fight. And has to be part of the uh, the people taking a slice of the pie. Mayweather will undoubtedly take the lion's share. McGregor will take a sizable chunk himself. And uh, the UFC are going to want their, their slice as well. And it's how all of that gets chopped up that I think is going to be the big talking point behind the scenes between now... Any potential fight, but we're going to hear loads about it from now until then. If it even happens, who knows? Um, but if I was a betting man right now, I don't think we're going to see Conor McGregor in the Octagon in 2017. I'd, I want to, I don't think we will. Based on based on what we're getting, so we'll look. We'll we'll, we'll look forward to learning more about it as the year goes on, and uh, that will, as you say, be one of the biggest stories of the year. A story a little bit closer to home, obviously. Conor McGregor was in Manchester, England, doing that press conference. The UFC are coming to England in March. March 18th, UFC Fight Night London takes place at the O2 Arena in London's Docklands. And we now have a main event, Sandu. And from the reaction that I've had on my Twitter timeline, the fans aren't that, aren't that impressed with it. Jimmy the Poster Boy Manoa was announced to fight Corey Anderson week ago? Two weeks ago? And there was certainly no mention of that fight being a a main event fight. So one can only assume that something has happened and the UFC have called an audible uh, and have promoted Manuel Anderson to the main. I know Jimmy told some colleagues of ours in the media that his contract was for a three-round fight. Corey Anderson last night tweeted saying, big news coming. It was pretty obvious what that would have been. And then a few minutes later, Mike Bond of uh, MMA Junkie was able to get the confirmation from a UFC official that Jimmy and Corey is now the confirmed main event for UFC Finite London. What do you make of the fact that it's now the main event? And uh, what do you think the overall reaction will be? Because obviously a lot of people will have bought tickets knowing the fighters that were on the card, but also with the expectation that there's no main event been, uh, no main event uh been announced therefore something better than the names on the card would be on its way that hasn't happened so what's your take on it
1: yeah it's a it's a it's an interesting one because it's actually a story i've been following very well i guess we both have very closely over the last couple of weeks um and it's interesting you know a few weeks ago i think you and me were both in mutual agreement that the fight we were expecting was going to be some sort of combination of either Gegard Masassi versus Chris Weidman or Gegard Masasi versus Luke Rockhold. Masasi Weidman got booked for UFC 210 um, in Buffalo, New York. Um, and the minute Masasi, who I think has pretty much, outside of Michael Bisping and, uh, well, outside of any of the European champions, um, he's been the big European star over the last 12 months for the UFC. Um, and, you know, we've spoken about you know how much the UFC London team loves working with him. You know, um, and he's good for the for the European scene, uh, and he's really kind of come into his own. And then when that fight got announced, I was like, "Wow, they're not going to use Masashi in London now. That's a head scratcher." Well, automatically, my head was like, "Right, okay. Well, they've got to go to Gustafsson. He's the he's the the logical next person. He was supposed to fight at the back end of 2016 in Brazil uh, against Shogun Hua, I believe it was." um, or uh, well, Noguera, I can't remember, it was one of those guys. But uh, he pulled out due to injury. Uh, and I thought, well, okay, you know, maybe he's healed in time and London makes sense, it's close to home. You know, a lot of Swedish fans would fly over to to watch him fight here in London. He's fought in the O2 arena before, he beat Jimmy Manua a couple of years back in the main event. And, uh, and to get a main event fight would be great for Gustafsson, you know, just to kind of get back into the top spot, into the limelight again. And then I started thinking, you know, who would he fight? And then, you know, there's a lot of talk coming out that Ryan Bader was very close to signing with uh better You know, he's a free agent at the moment. So outside of that particular fight, I don't know who else they could have probably matched him up with. Maybe a Glover to share but you know, I don't know if he would be, you know, ready and willing and able to fight. He's and, uh, yeah, actually there you go. He's fighting, he's fighting, uh, he's fighting uh, Jared Canonier. There you go. Um, so I thought, let me give him a call. So I spoke to Gustafsson um, earlier last week, and he told me himself, um, no, no interest in London. Um, the date he was being a little bit vague. Uh, he essentially, you know, said that the date wouldn't wouldn't fit his schedule uh, in regards to making a a comeback, and the right fight options weren't available, right? Uh, but he said he, he's looking at dates further afield from. Uh, march 18th right so Gustafsson's going to be back probably sometime in april or may and i think the ufc just need to figure out a, a fight that makes sense for him uh to keep him busy and to kind of um, to to uh suppose keep him appeased in regards to you know something that will get him to a title shot again so when that happened i thought right okay well i really don't know what they're going to do now And then Francis Ngannou got a massive win over the weekend. And again, we spoke about it earlier on the show. I thought, okay, well, he's come away pretty much unscathed here. Could they potentially uh, match him up against a Ben Rothwell, a Stefan Struve, you know, Um, another heavyweight? And I'm sure um, given the landscape, the MMA fans in the UK, fans that had, um, had already bought tickets, Would understandably, you know, still be maybe a little bit upset, but could maybe accept that, um, you know, given the fact that had just come off a a massive win over the weekend. So he's hot right now. Right. And then last night, the the news broke, like you said, Mike Bond, my colleague over at MMA Junkie, broke the news. And first of all, I'm made up for Jimmy Manua. You know, London zone, really happy for him. Uh, I'm sure both for him and for Corey Anderson this probably i'm guessing uh means a bump up in pay to take a five round fight in a main event slot uh, manu is ranked number five now he got a fantastic win in the back end of last year um in manchester and uh, and that was a really big fight for him to come come back off a loss to anthony john johnson um and to knock out osp the way he did that was on the highlight knockouts of 2016 um so for him to get a main event slot is huge because that could potentially uh, again, in a division that's pretty weak, when you start looking at the overall landscape of the top fifty and twenty fighters, that could propel him into a potential title shot, or at least get him a little bit further, af- you know, further afield, you know, getting further up there. It's just he doesn't have the right dance partner. Sai. you know, a few years ago, him against Gustafsson, main event London, that's the right dance partner. Corey Anderson, for me, he just isn't the right dance partner. Right? Um, I feel sorry for. Fans that perhaps bought tickets, um, thinking that the UFC would give them um, a bigger marquee main event. And I think the track record's been pretty good. Normally, the UFC, when it comes to the London event on the European circuit, this is the one they tend to deliver the most on. Because London is the one that gets the most media attention. It's the, the capital city of England. It's got the biggest airport in the world. It's got numerous flights from all across europe so it allows uh, a lot of accessibility for european fans to come over london is also a destination city you can spend a week here as a tourist have some fun whatnot so when i looked at the card and, and again this is definitely this wasn't plan a for the ufc like you said simon they announced this fight a few weeks ago if this was their plan a they would have announced it as a main event a few weeks back but they didn't now, what do you say to fans that have bought tickets? It's a tough one because I always say, look, um, and it doesn't matter what kind of uh, consumer you are. If you're uh, buying a ticket for a football match, if you're buying a ticket for a concert, you know, if you feel as though you're not getting your bank for your buck or if you're getting screwed over with the product or the sport or the team or the club you support or whatever it is, you really have to um, almost protest with your pounds or your euros or your dollars. You you have to, and I know, and I know it's a little, t- it's a bit tough because the UFC just comes to London once a year, and sometimes they miss London altogether in a calendar year. So, I th- but I think what this means and what this tells me is that the UFC brand is way bigger than any fighter. consumers buy tickets here in London, and MMA fans based on the brand. The UFC is coming to town, right? Um, and perhaps their expectations weren't met. And like you, like you said, Simon, um, my social media t- today, all day long, has been ninety nine percent really negative in regards to uh, fans being disgruntled um, at the lack of a, a marquee main event. Uh, fans, you know, being unhappy that they spent you know two hundred pounds, three hundred pounds, and whatnot, um, wishing they can get a refund. You know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say really. It's just really, really unfortunate. Um, but this is also the sign of the times, not just here in London, in England, and in Europe, you know. This has happened before. It's happened in Canada. It's happened in Brazil. The UFC has already canceled a couple of shows this year, right? The star power across the board just isn't there right now with the UFC. They don't have – a lot of guys are being tied up because they've been stacking up pay-per-views over the last six months with two title fights, right? So – I don't. and it's a UFC fight pass card to top it all off, yep. you know. So I don't know if that answers the question or if it gives me you know, has allowed me to express my feeling. i have just tried to, you know, hit as many points as I possibly can. But, but what was your take, Simon and, and and, you know, what are your feelings in regards to the main event?
0: I'm I'm disappointed to the fans who bought the tickets expecting another fight to be added at the top of the card. Because that obviously isn't isn't the case. Um, I think if you look at the fights that are on the card right now we've got 11 11 confirmed fights 9 of those fights contain either a British or Irish fighter so there's an awful lot of local local talent involved in the card which I think is a positive there are people among the fan base, and some people have tweeted me who have actually complained that it's the same old faces but I think it's understandable that when there's a fight card in Britain, the British fighters are going to want to be on that card. They're the easiest ones to recruit for the card. They will also sell more tickets because they've got friends and family. It's 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 common sense that you're going to pack a British card with with, with British fighters, particularly when the UFC doesn't come to the UK that often. You know, if if we're lucky, we'll get a couple of shows. Maybe you know, maybe two, maybe three. If we're really lucky, three in a calendar year, but they won't all be in the Southeast of England. You know, we might get one in Ireland if we're lucky, or we might get one in the North of England or in Scotland or wherever, you know, so everything's going to be spread around. So the question, the question comes when, when they announce the event and they start putting the fights on the card, you look at it and you say, Oh great, Brad Pickett's going to have his retirement fight. I want to be there for that. Jimmy Mano has got a tough fight against Corey Anderson. If he wins that, he's potentially going to put himself one step closer to a title shot. Maybe gets him in a, in a number one contender shot. Maybe. And then you've got, you know, people will have their, have their domestic favourites, people they've watched come up through the ranks. People like Mark Diocasey, Tom Brees, Scott As- Scott Ascombe in particular is a great example because he has a great amount of travelling support. You know, even when he was fighting in Germany, he brought hundreds and hundreds of fans with him. He'll have a huge travelling support in London. You know, Joseph Duffy is a hugely popular fighter as well on this side of the pond. He makes what might be his final UFC appearance against Reza Mandadi. So, you know, there's there's an there's an awful lot of intrigue on this card, in my opinion. Tom Breeze is making his middleweight debut. Bradley Scott is taking on Scott Ascombe in a, in a in a Battle of Britain. Leon Edwards has got Vicente Luque. That fight's got Fight of the Night written all over it for me. They're two superb prospects at welterweight. I think that's a great fight. There's some, there's some, decent fight, and Arnold Allen, Macquarie, McAnney. We know both of those guys well. That's going to be a good fight. So, you know, the fights on paper are all good, decent matchups. What they just needed was a little sprinkling of stardust at the very top of the card for people to say, "This is, this is a really, really cool card." You know, bearing in mind it is a UFC fight pass card. We weren't going to get a world championship fight. And anyone expecting a world championship fight is kidding themselves. You know, I know someone said, but we got Anderson Silva and Michael Bisbing last year. We were lucky. We Mm -hmm. got Anderson Silva and Michael Bisbing last year. Um, People were complaining that it was going to be Anderson, it was going to be Michael Bisbing versus Gagard (laughs) Mousasi. I think, I think, I think people would be delighted with Michael Bisbing, Gagard Mousasi right now, championship or not, you know? So I, and I'm, as I'm completely with you on this as well in terms of with uh, with Jimmy in particular. Jimmy has, has paid his dues and uh, has gone about his career in the right way. He didn't just jump in the UFC at the first opportunity. He turned them down twice because he was aware enough of his own abilities at the time to know that he wasn't ready. Uh, incredibly mature and uh, confident in his own ability that he knew that he would eventually reach the level where he could step in and do well and uh, he's found his feet in the UFC he's been very unlucky with the way some of his fights have finished in terms of the ones he's won he hadn't had that highlight real knockout and then against OSP he got it um, and it was one of the most brutal brutal finishes of 2016 and i think i think he should be i think people should be happy for jimmy that he's got the main event slot um but, I do understand those fans who bought tickets, knowing these fights were on the card, but expecting a main event to be added on top. so but I wouldn't go as far as to say this is a bad card, far from it. It's not a bad card. It just doesn't have the the international superstar power at the top of it. I think you stick a even if you put a Francis and versus Ben Rothwell fight on the top of that card. I think people would be pretty happy with that well, at least they should be I think um the other fights that I heard would been in the mix for this you, you know you mentioned Gustafsson I believe he was offered Misha Serkinov for this card um which would have been a, a very interesting fight um that I understand he got offered Misha Serkinov and he didn't want it um I can understand why you wouldn't want that as your comeback fight cuz Misha Serkinov is absolutely terrifying and if you've had a big layoff fighting a big old tank of a man like that probably isn't the sort of fight you want to come back to and if it doesn't fit your time frame or whatever then then fine so if the beta fights off the table because of Bellator and the Circonov fight gets turned down then that rules Gustafsson out another fight that I heard had been linked not necessarily a main event but you could kind of crowbar it as a main event maybe Merbek ties off. um has gone public on this that he was all set to fight Anthony Showtime Pettis, and Pettis, for whatever reason, has not signed the, has not signed the contract. So, and it was certainly it, you know the the uh, it was implied that that fight may well have been for London. So, Marek Tysimov versus isn't isn't an A list star, but for those who've seen him fight, know that he's he's legit. Anthony Showtime Pettis is a star um so maybe they could have they could have put him in m- maybe as a co-main or a main but it's it's really it's really difficult it's really difficult there there aren't that many obvious matchups you can make um and would it be in a fight pass card the star power unfortunately is going to be utilized elsewhere where it's going to make the ufc more money and that's that's the thing you know they, they can spread themselves thinly if they want but What's What What seems to work for the UFC is when they stack the deck a little bit and they're almost prepared to to sort of... I hesitate to use the word neglect, that's not the right word, but put on uh, less star-heavy cards in, in, in other areas so that they can stack the deck a little bit more for pay-per-views, which is obviously their core business. So I'm looking forward to the fights that are on the card. I'm not going to lie, I'm disappointed that there isn't a big main event to put on the top of it um who knows maybe they'll pull a rabbit from the hat and announce one we weren't expecting silver versus Bisping were we and then that came out of nowhere so um but i suspect this is what we're going to get i suspect they'll you know we'll maybe get a co-main event slotted in uh and maybe one other fight because you know we're normally on 12 or 13 fights for a for a, for a fight pass card um but i think i think it's a decent fight card but i can understand why people are a bit disappointed for sure
1: Yeah, I mean, and like you said, Simon, there are still a couple of spots left to take up on the fight card. There's usually, you know, UFC events usually have twelve or thirteen fights on the fight card, Um, and and who knows? I I, I'm still kind of quietly hoping, you know, that Francis Ngannou can get the the clearance. Hopefully, he didn't come across, you know, come away with any uh, any serious injuries there over the weekend, Uh, and the fact that he'd be able to fight in London stones throw away uh, from France, you know, I'm sure he'll have a lot of supporters that could just get the Eurostar over to London for the weekend uh, and watch their fellow countrymen fight, uh, considering they can't uh, see any legal MMA action in their own country. Um, And I know that James Elliott um, was doing a lot of work over the last couple of days in France. Um, I'm sure he's trying to do all he can uh, to try and help um, push the regulation through, speak to the right people um, in in government there um, and uh, do what needs to be done on the political side uh, to try and get um, MMA legalized in France because that could potentially be a huge market for them uh, you know down the road in the future especially like I said with somebody like Nganu. but uh, coming back to the to the to the London card look um, yeah you know I sympathize with anyone that's bought a ticket um, if you're upset I'm um, you know I'm I, I feel I feel your pain and to be honest with you I, I, I you know I don't want to speak on their behalf but I've got a good feeling in saying that I'm sure the UFC London team would have wanted a lot more for this card too. They're not the ones that make the fights. They are always pushing for the absolute best fights possible for um, the European um, events. Um, these decisions are made uh, in Las Vegas by Dana White, Sean Shelby, uh, and Mick Maynard. Um, those are the guys um, that figure out what you know fights need to be put on what cards. And like you said, Simon, as, as things currently stand, you know, pay-per-view is, is king more so than ever, especially without the likes of a Conor McGregor on a hiatus, without knowing when Ronda Rousey will actually make her return. You know, uh, they had a potential um, superstar on their hands in the making in Chris Cyborg, but unfortunately she's out. John Jones is suspended until the summer. Brock Lesnar, um, you know, even though it was meant to be a one-and-done um, even the option of him returning is off the table until the summer. George Saint Pierre, who knows when he's going to potentially come back? You know, he's at odds with the UFC about getting the right deal done. So, you know, they need their champions. They need uh, any stars they can get a hold of um, to headline and really stack uh, these pay-per-views like they're doing with UFC 209. Uh, and and the byproduct of that potentially will be. You know, fight pass cards or fox cards or fight night cards, um, you know, either being cancelled, like we've seen a few times, like I mentioned this year, Simon, um, or or perhaps not getting um, star power um, that uh, hope you know that the local market and the local fans want. But this is also perhaps um, you know a, a, a statement on on the um, the number of fight cards that the UFC does put on every year. You know, they put on about. Forty odd, forty two uh, events every year. That's a big number, uh, considering, uh, like I said, drawing power, stars, and and you know marquee fighters. So um, so yeah. Look, hopefully this time next week, Simon, when you and me are catching up again on, on the show, uh, we've got a couple of more uh, mouth watering, juicy, exciting fights um, to discuss and talk about. Uh, but I'm really happy for Jimmy. Like I said, um, I think he's got a monkey on his back, and I think that's a storyline. For him coming back to the O2 Arena um, and, and fighting in the main event slot, he didn't get the job done a few years ago. And I think being a Londoner and you know having a lot of fans and f- friends and family there um, to watch him compete top of the bill uh, against Gustafsson and losing in the fashion that he did, I'm sure he thinks about that a lot. Even though he's you know training with him now. At the All Star Gym in Stockholm, I think he wants to, you know, right that wrong and uh, and get a victory in the O2 Arena in the main event, and so I'm really happy and excited for him.
0: Absolutely, and uh, yeah, we will obviously bring you uh, any more news of additions to that fight card on next week's edition of the Brit Pack. Now, very very quickly, we do have an event this coming weekend, February the fourth. The Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, plays host to UFC Fight Night. Bermudez versus the Korean Zombie. You know you're a bit of a star if you don't even need to have your real name on the poster. Chan Sung Jung, as his mum and dad called him, is back in the UFC, and he's straight in to a UFC main event. He takes on Dennis the Menace, Bermudez. I'm looking forward to this fight at Featherweight. Chan Sung Jung was the man... He was absolutely superb, uh, just a hell for leather performer. Always brought the uh, the action and the entertainment, as does Bermudez. That that one that one will do the business on Fight Night. We'll quickly run down the key fights. Alexa Grasso takes on Felice Herrig at strawweight in the co-main. Abel Trujillo James Vick at lightweight. OSP takes on Volkan Ozdemir, who is a replacement for Jan Blakovic. Um else we've got? The the opening the opening fight on the main card should be an absolute cracker. Jessica Andrade takes on the returning Angela Hill, who uh, jumps back into the UFC as the Invicta strawweight world champion, of course. And uh, a fight or two fights on the prelim card to look out for. The first fight on the prelim card: Tisha Torres versus Beck Rawlins, should be a decent scrap at women's strawweight. And the featured preliminary bout: two heavyweight prospects, Adam Milstead and Curtis Blades. Uh, Blades had a tough start to his UFC career because they put him in with Francis and Garnou. um But uh, he he was pretty much undefeated, I think, before then. So he's looking to find his feet. Adam Milstead is another guy who... He's shown a little bit of promise as well. So so that'll be one to watch as well. That's UFC on Fight Night this coming weekend. Uh, the numbers, if you're keeping up with it, is UFC Fight Night 104. And uh, that one takes place February the 4th in Houston, Texas. Now, the reason why we whizzed through those, Sandu, is because we put the call out for questions this week and we got a bucket load. So let's just dive straight in and get as many as we can done before we wrap this thing up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No shortage of questions this week. Now, normally, I think I've got to send a few prompts out on a Monday, uh, but it just took one tweet at lunchtime and I was flooded with questions. Thank you, everyone, uh, for tweeting. And remember, it's the Britpack MMA That is the Twitter handle. Give us a follow and uh, use that handle when you want to throw a question throughout the week, and We'll try and get it squeezed on into the Q&A segment on the show. So without further ado, the MMA Manor tweets in and says, who should Ngannou face next? I like a fight with Derek Lewis. We quickly spoke about this um, earlier on the show. You mentioned Ben Rothwell. I wouldn't mind the Stefan Struve fight, an all-European clash, uh, but outside of those, uh, are there any other fights that you think make sense for uh, the newer superstar in the heavyweight division?
0: Not right now. I think a lot of the names who you would potentially like to see him against, they're all tied up in fights. So I think I think Struve and, um, Struve and Rothwell are the two highest-ranked available fights for him. Um, Derek Lewis would, is, is just coming off... Uh, a, a recent win, so he may potentially be available if they're not in a rush to put put Ngannou back in there. Uh, that would be that would be quite a quite a sight to see those two guys. We saw both of those two in Zagreb. Uh, I remember media day; they were both sat at the end of the same row, and they were like the two biggest bookends you've ever seen. They're two huge hulking guys, and um, they're uh, they're I'm sure their paths will cross at some point. They're both on the way up. I would probably keep them apart at this stage, though. I think I think the Rothwell fight makes the most sense to me. I think uh, Ben Rothwell needs a needs a fight against a notable opponent to propel himself back in there, and Francis and Garnu needs a name and, and 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 a credible contender. I think in terms of where they are for their careers, I think Rothwell is probably the best pick. So he would be he would be my he would be my selection.
1: Nice one, uh, Amir tweets in and says thoughts on cowboy and his run at welterweight do you feel him fighting as often as he does cause the loss that's a, a really good question and it's something i've actually thought about you know cowboy serroni is one of those fighters that likes to fight as consistently and as often as possible you know sometimes i feel like that could be it's a, it's a it could be a pro and a con you know if you're fighting as often as he does and you're not um you know getting any serious injuries you're keeping your skill set very very sharp right um but at the same time you know you know the the counter to that is are you are you giving yourself and your body enough time to recover not just from the fight but the six eight ten twelve week camps that these fighters usually put in uh for these fights um i mean what's your general thoughts on that simon in terms of fighting consistently fighting often and when and knowing when to say no to let your body heal up and so what so forth
0: it's hard to it's hard to know just what the effect is. I mean, all 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 I know from looking down his, his recent record is that the turnaround time between the two fights is it looks to be from my very quick and probably very poor mental arithmetic, um, the shortest turnaround he's had since he fought twice in a fortnight back in January 2015, which is ridiculous. He fought Miles Jury on January third and then. And he beat him, and then he beat Benson Henderson on January the 18th. that's ridiculous behavior, but he managed he got away with it because he won both those fights this time around uh, he fought December 10th against Matt Brown. You don't go through a fight with Matt Brown without getting hit, so he would have taken some shots in that fight um he knocked him out in the third round, so you know he would have had to negotiate 10 minutes of of, of, of matt brown uh, Matt Brown punishment before he could eventually land that. Land that head kick and win the fight. How much of that did you know had an effect on him against against Masvidal? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he's fighting at a weight class where he's he's obviously going to be healthier. He's going to be better hydrated, and you know com- compared to when he was at 155 at least. So it's it's a difficult one. I think I know you know Dana referenced it in a press conference saying when he wants to fight this many times, it's going to catch up with him and stuff like this. I just think Masvidal was the better guy on the night. I don't. I understand why people want to make excuses or, or try and find a reason for Cerrone losing because he was on such a such, you know such a great run of form. I think that detraction what what uh, Jorge Masvidal did. I think I think it was more because of his performance rather than Cerrone's turnaround time or anything else. I would, I would I would lay the uh, I would lay the blame if you're going to put the blame anywhere for Cerrone losing that fight, I would lay that blame firmly at the feet of Jorge Masvidal, who put on the best performance of his career. So, you know, sometimes you don't need to find what's wrong. Sometimes you just come up against the better guy on the night. And Masvidal was undoubtedly the better guy on the night.
1: Darryl Chumbly tweets in and says, Would additional weight classes be beneficial for MMA? 15 to 20 pounds is a big jump in weight. Especially from 155 to 170 pounds is 10% extra. I actually agree with this, and I've actually been um, a big fan of it. And I of this idea of perhaps um, creating a 165 pound weight class and a 175 pound weight class so that you're getting incremental jumps up of 10 pounds throughout the, the various weight classes. And I think there's enough fighters in the lightweight and welterweight division to actually. Uh, Create a new division in between where you've got you've got like 155 pound fighters that are just um, cutting way too much weight, and you've got 170 pound fighters that are undersized for the weight class. I mean, could you imagine if there was a 175 pound welterweight class? How amazing it would be for Johnny Hendricks and Kelvin Gastelum, right? Um, So I like the idea, and and I think if the UFC wants to create more belts, instead of creating interim titles. Um, why not create an actual uh, division where you can have um fresh matchups um new stars emerging and an actual weight class that makes a lot of sense your thoughts simon
0: yeah I think the, I think the big the big barrier to that is the number of bodies you have and do you have enough people to to justify creating the weight class now they've just created a one hundred and forty five pound women's weight class and they they currently have two fighters in that weight class so The answer to that, you know, is if they can do it for that, then they can do it for any weight class. Totally agree about the uh, having the ten pound jumps. I think from all the way from flyweight all the way up to light heavyweight you should have ten pound gaps. So I would have a I'd have a 195 weight class. Then you got two oh five, and then I'd jump 20 pounds, have a 225 weight class for like uh, super what what do you call it, cruiserweight, Cruiserweight, And and then you have super heavyweight. For the for you know for the big boys two twenty five and above, um, <clears throat> but I think I think in order to do I, in some ways it kind of fits with what we've been talking about in recent shows about the UFC needs to create more stars. They, they need to if they want to put championship belts at the top of these big cards, and at times it, you know you get the impression they're struggling to do so, which is why we've seen some of these interim titles suddenly cropping up. Why not create these these other opportunities? It means more fighters are in more meaningful matchups, because you're not just talking yeah. about the championship fights. You've got number one contender fights, and it just it just it increases your your permutations for, you know, the matchmakers when they're sitting down and saying, right, okay, what, you know, what can we do here? And you've got the instance where you've got fighters who can operate in more than one weight class, and. It, I think it also encourages fighters to fight at a more natural weight, um, but it also it also encourages fighters to sort of jump around a bit and and, and ch- try different weight classes and, and pursue whatever opportunities they can get. It opens up the opportunity for more champion versus champion matchups, and without without muddying the waters too much, because you still only I think you should only have one championship per weight class. That's one of the one, you know one of the big selling points of the UFC. But having extra weight classes, I think he's fine. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense.
1: Craig Skirm, or Skym, tweets in, and actually took a screenshot, because his, uh, his question was quite lengthy, which is a quite a clever way of doing it. <clears throat> I can't... And Francis Ngarni, I'm telling you, is a very popular fighter at the moment. Uh, got, got quite a few questions uh, thrown our way regarding the heavyweight. Um, anyway, so his question is I can't see Francis Ngannou losing a fight anytime soon. I've just read about his background coming from Cameroon and had to emigrate to Paris. He is a he is the first good African MMA heavyweight I've seen. Should the UFC think about doing the ultimate fight to Africa someday and try and open doors for that market and try and find talent? Yeah, sure, why not? They've done it in China. They've done it in uh, Brazil, in Latin America. Um I know that there's uh, – and the promotion from the top of my head escapes me, but there is a South African promotion, so help me out e- here. E- EFC. There you go. EFC. Um, they seem to be cultivating a lot of the uh, African or at least South African MMA talent, and there's lots of gyms um, in that uh, part of Africa. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's a weird one because uh, Africa is uh, is is yet another massive potential market that the UFC hasn't really uh, penetrated. Uh, you know they have the EMEA office and uh, EMEA stands for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. They've been to Europe a hell of a lot. They've been to Middle East uh, with events in uh, in Dubai. They have not yet been uh, to to Africa with any event. Uh, and and maybe it would take you know Francis Ngannou as a champion to help open those doors. Uh, you know he's from Cameroon maybe you he can help make that happen but um, I actually think for the time being um, who knows maybe some sort of relationship uh, with EFC to cultivate talent to the UFC much like how the UFC has a relationship with cage warriors might be a better route for the time being Simon your thoughts
0: yeah I think if you take a look at the UFC I mean I've spoken to UFC officials about this in 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 the past and said you know have you considered doing an event in South Africa in particular? Because there is a market down there for mixed martial arts. And I was told at the time that the exchange rate was a bit of a killer for the UFC. The cost of putting an event on down there would have been prohibitive. The other thing is efs it's a little bit like the KSW situation in Poland. They've got such a strong brand down there, extreme fighting championship. They, and if you, Go and look at any of their their broadcasts. They don't just model themselves on the UFC. They've straight ripped up, uh, uh, ripped off the UFC's presentation. Uh, it, you know, if, if you go back to like the UFC sort of five six years ago, the last time I watched an UFC broadcast, which admittedly was probably like two or three years ago, it looked almost identical. It looked right. almost virtually identical, as someone might say. Um, but the big problem, and this is the problem you get with any emerging emerging nation is you need the talent to then jump up to world level and stick around and so far the only south african to really have had any measure of success in a ufc is gareth mcclellan the soldier boy and he's a real pathfinder for them um he's an excellent interviewer he comes across really well uh he's got a very distinctive look about him which makes him instantly recognizable um, as I say, and he comes across excellent with the media, but he's really been the only guy. Uh, Ruan Potts was a South African heavyweight, I think, who uh, he had a couple of fights in the UFC. He really didn't. He, he really struggled at UFC level, and has since since sort of disappeared. So that's where you've got the problem. You, you know, in terms of local local talent, they've probably got quite a competitive promotion down there. But the problem is once you break it out of that market and you start putting some of those fighters in at, at world level, then you've got you've got a huge gap. We saw it with the ultimate fighter, China. Um, and we you know we thankfully on a sort of a topical on a on a topical note, Lee Li, Li Jing Liang put in one of the best performances of the night on Saturday night. He's the one guy. He's their guy right now from China who He's the standard bearer. He's made it across to the UFC and has managed to stick around and he's now building his game, much as Gareth McClellan is trying to do the same for South Africa. But that's the problem you've got. So to create an Ultimate Fighter series and season will alert you to the product. But if those fighters then, or, or you know, the winner then goes into the UFC and gets smashed, you've invested an awful lot of money and you've not got a hell of a lot out of it because... EFC have got such a strong footprint in the market. So that I think is why they haven't gone yet. Um, and that is probably why they won't go for a little while. Um, unless they partner up with EFC and co-brand or do something, which typically they don't do, um, that would be that would make a, a bit more sense if you put a couple of UFC fights on an EFC card and co-branded it a little bit. Maybe that would work it sort of. Trojan horses the UFC brand in South Africa a little bit you build it gradually that way but uh yeah I can't see it happening for a little while yet
1: Anthony W tweets in and surprise surprise it's another question in relation to our man Francis Ngannou um will France change its stance on MMA if Ngannou wins UFC heavyweight championship I think they should definitely jump on this in Ghana bandwagon way before he potentially wins a championship. I think it's a fascinating story and probably uh, really appropriate right now with what's happening in the world um, where, where a guy from Cameroon uh, immigrated to France who opened their doors to him uh, when he was just a kid. And um, he, he took the opportunity to make something of his life with opportunities in France. And, um, but you know, France Ngannou isn't the first French MMA fighter, um, and, and and he certainly won't be the last. Um, and, and you know, France is a powerhouse in so many other um, sport, you know, sporting um, stages, whether, whether it comes to um, football or, or tennis and, and and you know, Formula One. And there's so many other sports that France has real world championship level um, athletes and competitors. Why not get behind MMA, uh, especially when you've got a massive um, superstar in the making in, in Ghana? Like I said, James Elliott, he's definitely putting in the work. The UFC are putting in the work. They want to break into the French market. We know they've been trying to do that for quite some time. But, um, but yeah, you know, I think if you win the championship, that might speed things up a little bit. What do you think, Say? Si? Well,
0: uh, under normal circumstances, I would agree with you. But in the case of this particular Situation. I don't think it will because okay. my understanding of the situation is this is less about sport and more about politics and the politics of sport. And there's a there's a big big issue in France with the perception of mixed martial arts and a lot of the the people in positions of of, um, of influence within the sporting governance in in France are heavily tied in with the French judo side of things and. They, some of the, some of the statements that have come come from the leadership there of, of on, on on the French judo side have been from you know for for someone on the mixed martial arts side of things, they've been laughable. They've been talking about it promoting terrorism and all sorts of stuff. It's it's, it's been quite incredible stuff. Um, the the place to check out if you want any sort of further reading on this is is IMAF, the International Mixed Martial Arts Federation. They have been working tirelessly to try and establish the sport of mixed martial arts over in france um and uh it's been It's been a losing battle so far, and it's something that you know you just hope that eventually will happen, but it reminds me in some ways of the situation in New York where you had people at the very top who, for whatever reason, had just turned themselves off to the sport, weren't prepared to listen to reason weren't prepared to listen to sort of research, facts, um, any kind of argument of substance, not interested. They've made their decision, they've made their minds up, and that's pretty much it. And it's a sorry state of affairs right now. And I'm, I'm by no means an expert on this topic, but that is my understanding of how things are right now. And maybe having someone, having a prominent, a prominent champion, like a Francis Ngannou if if he goes and becomes the world heavyweight champion that will carry some serious clout and and at the very least the level of interest from from French sports fans will naturally increase because there's this the baddest man on the planet happens to be happens to be someone who emigrated to France as a as a child and is now is now I think he's technically a French national now I think he I is I think so yeah um so yeah and uh, naturally that 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 will then start to sort of pique people's interest but in terms of getting it get you know getting the ban overturned there's a, there a you know there's a hell of a lot of uh, diplomatic work and lobbying that needs to be going on and you know the likes of uh, of Mark Ratner are probably gonna you know probably gonna be sick of the place you know I'm sure he's visited Paris on countless occasions in an attempt to try and try and break the walls down over there you know the big the big barrier was 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 New York before now it's France um, different situation but there are there are certain certain similarities involved where it's as if people aren't listening to reason and uh, we've had it in Australia in certain states of Australia where they're happy to have MMA but they refuse to have the cage and that's purely because people don't like the aesthetic that could be the only reason because it's not, you know, whenever I talk to people and I remember I was in, where was I? I was in, I was in Glasgow for the ACB event and we'd been to the fights and I'm in the bar. Funny that, but I was in a bar and, uh, there's this couple, I suppose they're in their mid to late fifties and, uh the uh the lady started talking to me and asking me why you know who all these big scary looking guys were and i explained what had gone on and then i ended up what i thought was going to be like a polite two minute conversation ended up being a 45 minute uh diplomatic chat where i was trying to explain to them why mixed martial arts wasn't just a load of crazy meatheads just hurling fists at each other and uh, by the end of it, like they were saying, but what about this? They fight in a cage, don't they? And I'm like, well, you know why that is, don't you? And then you, know, you, you explain all this. And it's, it's, it's almost like the scales falling from the eyes. They're like, I understand that now. I understand that now. And now, in, you know, it, it takes it takes two things to happen. It takes someone to explain, but it also requires the other side of the equation to be prepared to listen. And to be prepared to take on board the information. And in France at the moment, that side of the party is just not there. The, you know, the doors are shut. So I don't think we're going to see the UFC in France or professional MMA in France yet. I'd love to see it soon, but I don't think it's going to happen yet. They've got, they, they've got a lot of work to do to try and win them over.
1: Clearly France are uh, happy not to be the A-side on this occasion. There you go. Um, Stephen Murray tweets in and says, give me your dream UFC commentary lineup. Mine would be Joe Rogan and Bass Ruin. Well, for me, it's, uh, it's, it is it's a dream scenario because this commentator is no longer commentating on any, on any MMA fights anymore. And that's Maro Ranallo, who is uh, working for the WWE now. Uh, I've always wondered what it would be like to watch a UFC event with Joe Rogan and Maro Ranallo just just a two-man team, no three-man team. A two-man team, the two of them. Um, Maronello, obviously, you know, having commentated, you know, Pride and Strikeforce and Showtime boxing and pro wrestling. Now with WWE, a, a true veteran and one of the good guys um, of the sport. Uh, it's been a pleasure to meet him on a few occasions, being on the road. Uh, but that's my pit side Joe Rogan. Maro Ranallo. What about you? I'm going for Maro as well. Um, I think he's
0: he is the best, the best play-by-play guy in in combat sport, and I know people are going to say, "Yeah, wrestling is not a combat sport." It, it's it's combat sports entertainment, so you're in a similar sphere. He also commentates on Showtime boxing, so we had that amazing fight between Carl Frampton and uh, Leo Santa Cruz at the weekend. That was another reason why I was up till city o'clock I watched that after after everything else had finished. Um, and he commentates on that for Showtime and. He's, he's awesome. And obviously the pride, commentaries and all the rest of it. I would go for a three-man booth. I would go for a three-man booth and I would combine your suggestion with uh, Stephen's suggestion. I would have Joe Rogan and Baz Rutten alongside the bipolar rock and roller, as he likes to call himself, Mauro Ranallo. I think you know the energy level that you would get coming through your TV set would be would be phenomenal. I think you'd have, I think you'd have an awful amount of amusing moments as well. Baz is brilliant, Rogan's brilliant, and between the pair of them, I think you give them a couple of shows, and they'll be absolutely flying. And I think people would, it, I think it would just add an extra dimension. Like I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the guys that the UFC already has. John Anik's one of the nicest guys in the game, works his socks off, and is just. A, just the consummate professional. My um, buddy, John Gooden, does an incredible job. I'd like to see him get, get get a few shows stateside. I think they'd really warm to him over there. Um, and they're blessed with a load of great analysts. Dan Hardy's a great analyst. Dominic Cruz is a great analyst. Brian Stan is excellent. And uh, Cormier. Cormier is becoming quite quite entertaining as well. So they're blessed with a lot of options. But for me... Mauro Ranallo, Joe Rogan, Baz Rutten, book it. Get them on board for the big pay-per-view shows. Um, I think that would be the dream ticket.
1: All right. Graham Hughes tweets in and says, have the UK fans been shortchanged with the London card? Is the Manua fight a worthy main event? <sighs> is it a worthy main event for London? Well, like I said, I think 50% of it is. I just don't think it's the right dance partner. I mentioned that before. I think had he been given someone like a Ryan Bader or a Glover Teixeira or just someone that could really um, give him a, a, you know, not to say that Corey Anderson wouldn't give him a test, but, you know, you know, Manu has main evented, you know, fight cars before. You know, he's, he's main evented London. Um, he's coming off a, a ridiculously good uh, knockout um, fight. I understand what some people mean in regards to, you know, Manua isn't exactly um, the Conor McGregor when it comes to his skills in the microphone, but he's a he, he, you know, he, he's a, a, a different kind of fighter in, in regards to how he conducts himself in interviews. He's very serious. Um, he, like you mentioned, Simon, is very mature. He's been around for a while. Um, he pretty much lets his hands do the talking. Um, but you know, if you you know, under the right circumstances, I think you can promote Manua really, really well. I think for this particular card, you've got to really build up the hometown London boy story, the fact that he's got that monkey on his back at the moment, having lost in the main event a few years ago to Gustafson. Um, but coming back to the fight card, I think sometimes maybe you know in Europe we can be a little bit spoiled. I think we were spoiled last year twice uh, with the Anson Silva, Michael Bisping, and Michael Bisping Dan Henderson. You know, we have to be realistic um, in this part of the world where you know, the UFC in the sport is still very much a North American product for a North American audience. So if every now and then we get a pay-per-view, if every now and then we get a Michael Bisping fight, uh, fight uh, I think we should count our lucky stars. Um, because to be brutally honest, um, it's not a product that's really made for uh, a European audience. If it was, we wouldn't be staying up until 4 or 5, 6 o'clock on most weekends watching it. Your thoughts on that, Simon?
0: Yeah. The thing that they need to try and sell in this fight, because Corey's not the biggest uh, promo guy himself. Yeah. They just need to get hold. They need to ring up Dave O'Donnell, and they need to get his highlight reel from his Ultimate Challenge days. They need to get Jimmy Manos' highlight reel from his Ultimate Challenge days. And they need to tell the story of this guy. And they need to tell the story of the single most destructive puncher that this country has produced in mixed martial arts since I've been covering it in the last eight years or so. There isn't anybody who, who comes close. He's just a devastating, devastating striker and he's he's transitioned to the UFC. He's had to fight more well-rounded opponents, people who are prepared to, to try and take him into deep water and he's been in there with some of the very best in the world and he hasn't always come out on the right side of it but he's learnt from that and he's come back and now he's headlining in his own hometown. Um, and, you know, I think I think that's a great story. And I think showing that this is a guy who has, has been unlucky not to have had the big highlight reel moment in the UFC, having arrived in the UFC on this sea of knockouts. And then finally, in one of the biggest fights of his career against a former interim title challenger in Ovin Say who went the distance with John Jones with a broken arm, OSP went the distance with John Jones. With a broken arm, Manoa destroyed him, absolutely destroyed him. And that that performance, you just need to keep showing that performance. Show what he did to Carl Kingsbury, just just the array of punishing strikes that that guy can can actually deliver. And maybe try and get hold of some of his early fight footage, and yeah. and tell the guy's story. Have we been shortchanged as a country? I don't know if we've been shortchanged. I think this is this is an example of what's happening now with the UFC. Whereas before they were able to really push and put on fight cards, yeah, most of the time they were kind of local, but we still had a sizeable main event featuring international stars of some description. Um, what's happening now is WMEIMG are now focusing much, much more, I think, on the pay-per-view side of the business, especially when you think their two biggest drawing stars are out of the equation. So that just means they've got to spread themselves even thinner. So, And I think the fight pass cards are the ones that are going to get hit the hardest, and this is a fight pass card. This is is the reality of it. This fight could be happening in Canada. This fight card could be happening in Brazil, and it would be very similar. They'd pack it with Canadian talent, and it might not have a stellar main event. They could pack it with Brazilian talent and it might not have a stellar main event. What we have here is a card packed with British talent and it might not be your A-list main event that you're hoping for, but it is one of the most spectacular strikers that this country has produced in the sphere of MMA. So I think we need to take it on face value um, and take it in isolation and look at it and go, what have we actually got here? And I think what we've got is a collection of entertaining fights. If you want A-list fights, you've got to get on a plane. I think that's that's in in but in the main that's that's how it works because as you say it's a North American product. We were lucky last year, uh, and we you know I think we showed that we're we're a market that can accommodate that sort of event, and hopefully we will again. But right now this is a fight pass show, and we're getting a fight pass card, so we need to. I think we need to understand that a little bit.
1: And also, I'm just going to kind of add to that a little bit. Um, you know, I think we're quite lucky and have been quite lucky in the UK over the years of the amount of UFC events we've got considering how many, uh, European countries there are where MMA is legal. Uh, and these countries have been crying for the UFC to come and, uh, the UFC haven't yet. Um, but yet, uh, typically we always get, um, one or two, um, events within the UK. Um, last year we got three in Belfast, Manchester, and London. So, um, very, very lucky. Can't complain too much. And the other thing I want to say is, look, if you can get tickets, for, and if you've, never, if you've never been to a UFC event before or to an MMA event before, if you've perhaps got some friends um, that have never been before, these are the type of events that where, you know, if you can grab a ticket for 30, 40 quid or 50 quid, um and you know that's i suppose pretty affordable it's, it's it's decent just to go along to to check out the experience because the, the UFC do put on the bells and whistles um it will be a fight pass card so you know there won't be any lag between the fights it will be fight after fight after fight um uh, and it is a a good night out if you if you haven't been uh, to a ufc event before they do put a lot of effort in the overall production of things so you know i don't think we've been shortchanged i think you know rather the opposite if you factor in how much ufc you know product and events we've had over the years we've been quite lucky um right so moving on uh, james says how shocked are you that the fights at the top of the ufc london card are nothing like what you guys predicted a few weeks ago <laughs> well if you uh james uh, appreciate the tweet um it's not the first time and it probably won't be the last time when me and simon try and predict something in the world of mma and get it horribly horribly wrong
0: oh yeah and it doesn't just apply to mma either i'm um, um, for someone that used to sideline as a betting tipster um <laughs> things things have not gone well for me in the last few i predicted juliana peña would win that didn't happen. I wrote a piece about the Royal Rumble. Four men to look out for in the Royal Rumble. Not a single one of them showed up. So, it's, this is this is this is the kind of situation we're in here. But I think the other thing that we have to we have to hold our hands up to when we talk about um, the UFC and, and events, particularly when they're happening in our own backyard, there is a tinge of of hope when we talk about these things as well, and we have to be honest about this. We we look at things and I I certainly am uh I, I I'm a born optimist and um you look at situations and you think, yeah, that could work and you look at reasons why things can work. And I think the Gagob Massasi situation made an awful lot of sense. And when they booked that fight for, for Buffalo it was it was a bit of a kick in the nuts. It was like, Okay. So we're not gonna get the big main event that we were hoping for because after that and you know we've spoken about it earlier in the show you're kind of scrambling around a little bit looking for something and they obviously couldn't find what they wanted because they eventually decided to bump jimmy and cory up to the main event um the one thing i would say about all of this is the as as british mma fans i think i, I think it's important that we as, as, as well as you know we want to see the best product we can in this country and i completely get that and i understand that and when you're forking out money for tickets you want to see the best product possible but i also think it's important that while people are, are going to be disappointed and that's that's understandable this is also a huge opportunity for a british fighter um and i think while it's okay to be disappointed i think it's also okay to be excited for the guy who's getting the unexpected opportunity and is a balance in that because I'm not going to lie I'm disappointed I am I'm very disappointed but I'm also absolutely pumped for Jimmy and um, you know it's, it's a great opportunity for him and I, I hope I hope that he's able to take full advantage of it against a very very difficult opponent stylistically for him so um, you know I'm not someone who will ever turn around and slam a fight card because I want to watch good fights. I don't... You know... Yes, you want to see the names. But sometimes the names aren't the people that deliver the best fights. So... I think this could deliver a host of great fights. And uh, there's a lot of local interest in there. Yeah, we'd have liked a big a big headliner on top. But... Uh, I don't think that's reason to slam the rest of the card for it. So that's... That's that's all I would say. I've seen some people just... Going to town on the fight card and, and slagging it off where... You know, these are professional fighters and a lot of them are fighting for, for you guys in the UK and, 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 you know, us guys. And I think they deserve a little bit more respect than to be told that they're on a fight card that sucks. So that's just a little a little side note.
1: Well said. Um, next question comes in from Blue Nose Greig MMA, uh, who says, Why is it the media fans and Dana always take Conor comments so literally? It's an act. Surely that's clear. Well, look, you know, sometimes you've got to take what Conor McGregor says with uh, a pinch of salt. Um, But like you said, Simon, um, you know, John Morgan said on his podcast um, the last couple of days that an Instagram post um, and the article related to that Instagram post did more traffic than the entire play-by-play for UFC on Fox 23. Listen, Conor McGregor is a draw. People are interested in what he has to say, what he has to tweet, what he wants to post on, you know, on Instagram or whatnot. And um, we're just the conduit for him to, uh, to say what he wants and to get that out there to the wider uh, public, whether it's uh, our MMA bubble um, or to uh, a mainstream um, audience. Now, if you're a part of our hardcore community, I think you can see the forest from the trees and uh, you can you can make out uh, what comments have some meat to meet the bones, uh, and what comments McGregor makes are just for some headlines. Which you know, and, and he's got zingers galore. Um, but what's your take, Simon, in regards to Blue Nose Greg MMA's questions? Do you think Dana, and the media fans, take Connor comments a little bit too literally?
0: I don't. But I think the other thing to bear in mind is, and I studied this at school. That it's sort of the sociology of of the media, and. There's different schools of thought. One is that the media are influencing uh, the outside world by what they publish, and then there's the uh, the opposing angle that the outside world is influencing what the media publishes. And the truth of the matter is, if Conor McGregor generated no interest, if you published a Conor McGregor story and no one was interested in it, you 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 know you wouldn't be writing about Conor McGregor every day. Um, I've just left the sun. And you look on their MMA section, you're not going to find an awful lot of proper sports reporting on there because that's not what's doing the numbers for them right now. They've decided that what we want is Conor McGregor stories. And I don't care whether it's about him fighting, whether it's about him shopping, whether it's about him going to a wedding, whatever it is, if it's got his name on it, they've, they've looked at the analytics and said, this guy clicks, whatever he does write a story on it and that's what's that's what's happening and and uh, there's a balance to be struck if you're a proper sports outlet i think there's a duty to report the sports side of things and push that angle but there's also a bit of leeway and a bit of room to do some of the color stuff around it and that's where i think there needs to be a balance struck some outlets will go gung-ho for one some will completely ignore that and just go with the straight sports angle. I think reality is somewhere between the two. You need a mix of both. And uh, I think I think the situation with Connor is, if no one was interested, no one would be writing about it. Um, and uh, I think most people know that he's playing a game. But the thing is, it's an entertaining game to watch. You know, that's why people love Prince Nassim Hamed. That's why people used to love watching Chris Eubank. That's why people love professional wrestling. These guys get into a ring and pretend to beat the living daylights out of each other for 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes. But they'll be driving in the same car to the next show, buying cups of coffee and donuts at drive-bys and sharing petrol money. Because they're selling you something. They're selling you a product. And these fighters, like Conor McGregor, are selling you a product. They're selling you the overall package the difference with professional fighting is all of that fades away when they step into the cage or in the boxing ring and they fight and that's 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 where it all gets settled and i think people some people like that side of the sport where there's all the salesmanship some people really don't but the good thing about it is whether you like it or you don't eventually you see them fight and it takes us back to the very what one of the first things we were talking about about connor i just want to see the guy fight that's it and uh, hopefully we will eventually
1: Well, I think this has been one of our longest podcasts ever, clocking out well over two hours, but we do have one final question, and that comes from Ryan Thomas MMA, who says, was Bellator 171 necessary? Card was poor, could have gone from 170 to 172 and kept the higher standard. So honestly, I don't watch 171, um, probably because we don't get it here in the UK live. Uh, That's a, a, a big part of it. Uh, but there was also a lot of other um, action going on over the weekend. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Bellator 170 uh, last weekend, Simon, uh, which was a, a massive event for, for the promotion, uh, one of their tent pole events. And 172 um, coming up um, in about three weeks from now is also a, a big tent pole event when you've got Fedor Emelianenko versus Matt Mitrione. That should do pretty well on Spike over in the US. Um, I literally just typed in Bellator 171 on Wikipedia. Uh, Chidi Enjikawani, uh beat Melvin Gallard in what was en- what ended up being a 180-pound catchweight. And the only um, you know, couple of other um, notable uh, victories that I think um, stand out to me are David Rickles beating Aaron Darrow by TKO and AJ McKee, um, who's a, a big prospect for Bellator, um, beating Brandon Phillips by unanimous decision now i believe that bellator 172 will be airing uh, this upcoming saturday on spike uk uh, for anyone here in the uk that wants to check that out um there's usually a, a one week delay uh on uh, stateside bellator mma events uh being broadcast here over in the uk um and yeah maybe it is a fair fair criticism that maybe bellator should just focus on these tent pole events, but they're certainly not doing as many events as the UFC. Um, You know, on, on the one side, I think they're having major success with these tent pole events. And on the other side, there will be some of these filler events, uh, but they've got to put them somewhere. Um, Did you check out Bellator 171 or did you check out any of the results, Simon? Um, And and if so, what were your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I didn't check out the, uh, I didn't check out the event, obviously getting, getting hold of Bellator uh, footage in the UK. You need to be a little bit resourceful in order to get a hold of some of this stuff. Um, AJ McKee is the name that leaps off the paper. He's he's the prospect who I'm oh, I'm interested to see just just where the ceiling is for him. He he looks like a real talent, and uh, he's moving his way up that featherweight division. And I yeah. expect that they'll soon have him on one of those big tentpole cards in a supporting role. Um, and obviously, the next event is 172, which is a tempole event. You've got Fador versus Matt Mitrione, Josh Thompson. Uh, Patricky Pitbull Friere, czech Congo, Ollie Thompson, Britain's own Ollie Thompson, taking on czech Congo, uh, in that main in that main card. So that's coming up. I understand why they need to put these events on, and they, you know they, 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 there's a lot of fights. It's a 14 fight card that was, a 14 fight card in Kansas City. Now there's no information here about attendance and gate or anything like that, but. If they if they pack that arena, or you know, they put a few thousand in that arena, and they they sold enough merchandise, and you know, they sold enough tickets, and all the rest of it, then that's a commercial success, and it puts it gives those fighters a chance to build up their records and progress in their respective weight divisions to earn their spot on one of those pole shows. So, you do need to have it. It's like it's like having the Premier League with none of the football league underneath. It just doesn't work. You need the structure beneath. You need a way of feeding the talent through. So I think you do need shows like these. They might not necessarily be the sexiest shows uh, to watch. You know, they might not be the ones that you stay up till stupid o'clock in the morning to watch, like you know, like we often do. But they are, you know, they are a means to an end, and I think they do they do serve a purpose for Scott Coker and Bellator because they're going to produce hopefully the next wave of talent. Um, and if they don't have those sorts of shows then how are they going to grow? So I think I think these shows they're not sexy, but I think they are important for the growth of the brand and the growth of the, the growth of the promotion.
1: That's a wrap Simon. That is all the questions for this week.
0: Nice one. Yeah, we've just tipped past the two hour mark. Um, thank you so much for sticking with us if you did. We had a few a few rambling monologues on that one, but lots to talk about. Whether it was Conor McGregor or, um, you know, the UFC, UFC London card, lots of important MMA-related issues to people on this side of the pond. So, uh, thank you so much for your questions as well. We really do appreciate them. Uh, if we did somehow miss your question then uh, please do tweet them again. I know Stephen Murray, for example, it took him a couple of goes before he got his question on. We got it answered, Steve. We got it answered. So we do we do try and pay attention and, and get all of your questions in wherever we can. Um, of course, you can subscribe to the show. We would love that very much. Go to iTunes. You can go to SoundCloud. You can go to Stitcher. And you can go to Acast. Uh, best way to find all of this stuff is on our website, thebritpackmma.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the Britpack MMA. You can follow Sandu at Sandu MMA. And you can follow me at Simon Head. That, Mr. Sandu, was show number 25. We've done the quarter century. We've somehow survived. And uh, we, will, we will be back next week with number 26 as we look back at UFC fight night and the return of the Korean zombie as he takes on the menace, Dennis Bermudez. Until then. Enjoy the fights, and we'll speak to you next week.